Um, and they're just kind of talking and, and they have one shot as they're talking, but then it follows the father into the field where they find the, the cop that might still be alive. And I just, I was yeah. like, wow, I, I don't know if I've it's seen a really that elegant from wonder. Craven, yeah. uh, a lot, to be honest. Um, at least in the way he, well, he became really it. well known for it in the scream films scream for because sure. the scream, yeah, scream for yeah. sure. Yeah. I guess this early yeah. is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, but the, but that, that's what's cool is that like Craven is discovering the very elegant, steady cam suspense building that he would use by doing these like you know oneers and having them like play in real time while he's mm. shooting them via the tracking maneuvers and everything. So yeah, it was it was cool to learn this is the first time he ever ma- was making a movie that was like expensive enough that he could afford to to use that. Like this is you know this was kind of like a big deal for him. He had full creative autonomy and like one of the bigger budgets for him it's still not like a big budget movie or anything but right. for him he was he was getting a lot of tools that he previously didn't have um access to it and you can tell in some of the like d- some of the design work of it like the nice use of the the amount of blood and color that he will do and in the later half when he gets into the cartoon action and stunts and the artificial lights and some of the effects work that he does in supernatural stuff but even early on like that scene where he leads him or uh jonathan leads his father via his dream evidence who is by the way his father's played by mike michael murphy uh in kind mm-hmm. of a, a little bit of a strange performance but kind of an enjoyable one and i think he cast him because uh his the uh i think it was manhattan but that dude is in like what's up doc he's in mccabe and mrs miller mm-hmm. he's in nashville magnolia like he's like a phase four actually i think was the last time we talked about him okay um so he's like a pretty big actor yeah. um but uh and i do love his line delivery of uh this is screwball behind beyond belief <laughs> because he's literally letting his son's dream dictate where his investigation is going where he leads him to horace pinker's television repairman shop because he remembers seeing the van parked outside the family's house in the dream where he watched his family get murdered and it results in them going into this horrifying shop filled with like mummified cat corpses almost like the bone pieces in texas chainsaw Mm -hmm. uh there's like a strange occult symbols drawn everywhere and uh speaking of the uh i guess sort of like uh last house on the left where it was very much this idea of like you know his parents not acknowledging all of the horrors that were on television um yeah he has a bunch of staticky tvs going in his shop like all playing footage of like vietnam and mass graves and right. he includes other historical disasters throughout the film uh on the television sets just behind random characters all the time though like the hindenburg the atomic bomb like all all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems again, Craven, Craven is being political, even in his like schlocky electricity serial killer movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, that I love that. That's the first thing that you see as they enter into the, the TV repair shop because just every single TV has that. And it also seems like they're put together in a way that, uh, you know, a a proper running shop would not operate, um, or have them placed like, so that I did like the whole layer. I think that that's great. And this also kind of leads to a cool, a suspense sequence and eventually a kill sequence where he gets out like in the back where the cops are um, uh, uh, waiting outside for for Paul and uh, uh, Don 
or, or sorry, not Paul. That's the last one. John yeah, and Don. Because this, um, this is the bit where he's disguised himself as one of the cops because yeah. he pulls a cop into a secret passageway and kills him in the secret passageway, which is like, again, a very like slasher thriller set piece silliness yeah. almost. Yeah. And the way that I love how they present the the scare because they have the, the recognizable bum leg and they only focus on that. And so you know that he's approaching the cops, but when they turn around, um, he's wearing the cop uniform. So then Craven kind of psychs you out and says, like, no, it's not the killer, even though it is, but I don't think we've really seen his face yet. And then they cut back to John and Don, who are just getting free from the the place that they got (laughs) trapped in and seeing the killed cop that he stole the the uniform from, who's, like, just gashed up and bloody everywhere. And then they go back to the the guy dressed as a cop and you're like oh shit that is actually the killer and then they just slice two throats in a row and i just loved that back and forth and the way he paced out that reveal Mm -hmm. um it's just it's it's a nice psych out and he's it's very smart yeah well and going from like brutally slicing their throats open full gory view of it Mm -hmm. then strangling another dude with his radio and displaying him like a trophy kill on top of the top car while driving away laughing maniacally (laughs) having a blast and it's like dude how is he still getting away with it this dude just loves killing yeah you know (laughs) yeah yeah he's good at it he's having a good time yeah, and, and, and again, this is like 30 or 40 minutes into the movie, and we haven't even gotten to the part where they've captured the killer, and That's they've the electrocuted him, and he's going to go supernatural yet. Like, it's yeah. kind of crazy how long it takes to get to this stuff. And also, though, not in, like, a bad way. Like, no. not necessarily, like, like, kind of in a surprising way, where you're, like, if you were to go into it knowing the premise, you'd be like, wow, it kind of takes a while to get to the premise, but the opening prologue to the premise is pretty intense and there's a lot of it and like everyone around this kid is just dying and he's either at school or he's like at a funeral like he goes to like two or three funerals in the opening like 30 or 40 minutes of the movie it's like a ridiculous amount it almost reminded me of like twin peaks when characters just start like dying off and and stuff like that and there's there's even a part later in the film where he's watching a funeral that he was at on tv even after like more of his friends have died like it's just they're stacking up a ridiculous slash or body count around this kid and you would think that where we are at this point in the movie would be like a normal movie's climax yeah. where he starts to like use the dreams to find the killer, which is definitely the most like nightmare on Elm street slash uh, Stephen King esque mm-hmm. uh, sort of like, you know, using teen powers in a horror context type thing where they throw in where, yeah, like, you know, if he can fall asleep, he can teleport to the scene of the crime and he can start hunting him down and, you know, he can dis- disappear and become uh, transparent.